Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Relief Podcast. Once again, I'm Austin Dakota, and back with us this week is Barrett Hodgson. Barrett, good to have you back for episode four. We got a lot to talk about tonight. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. A lot of free agency news, some awards are announced, I'm excited. So Barrett, let's just start right off with free agency, go through that recap a little bit, and spend some time on this episode just going over the signings, what we think, and where where the latest rumors are in the MLB free agency world, but the first signing of the year was one that flew a little bit under the radar. I mean, it kicked us off, but not really a big move. Andrew Heaney to the Dodgers one year, about eight and a half million dollars. He was with the Yankees last year for the second half of the year. Wasn't spectacular, but a guy who could be righted pretty quickly in LA. What are your thoughts on the Heaney sign? Uh, I was a little surprised on how much money he got. Uh, I do think he could be righted in LA. They have a good history of uh, with pitchers, so I think it would make sense for him to go there. I just didn't understand him warranting eight and a half million dollars. Uh, but I guess if they get good production, it's a good contract. And uh, if it doesn't work out, they're only tied in one year. So for both sides, I think it makes sense. And that team has had other guys similar to uh, Heaney go there, left-handed pitching like Alex Wood, and they did pretty well with Wood throughout his career in L.A. And that other guys, obviously, like Kershaw, Urias, they seem to be really effective at developing left-handed pitching. And Heaney, just another guy in that lineup. But one of the guys that they might be losing, Corey Seager, we haven't heard a ton of rumors about Seager. Same thing with Max Scherzer. Uh, while we're on the Dodgers, any predictions about those two guys where they might go? Uh, I think Seager's going to end up being a Yankee. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they're going to end up with Correa uh, after uh, some social media incidents and stuff. Uh, I think the Yankees make a lot of sense for him, and there's been a lot of rumors that he, they're serious contenders for him. Uh, as for Max Scherzer, uh, my two spots that I had for him were back to the Dodgers. Uh, I think he had a good run there. He was really good, and I think he could win more World Series there. Uh, and the other option was uh, back to the Nationals because I could see that happening as well. Yeah, Scherzer is a guy. It's tough to predict where he's going. We haven't heard his name a ton, but his one of his counterparts or his – starting pitching counterparts have started to sign. And I think that could kind of dictate the market for Max a little bit. The first of those signings, I believe, was uh, Noah Syndergaard to a one-year $20 million deal. Uh, and Syndergaard going to the Los Angeles Angels, taking a little bit more than the qualifying offer that was offered for the Mets. But Syndergaard goes to L.A. and it's kind of a prove-it deal in a way. Gets a ton of money but doesn't get the year. So we'll see if he can rebuild his value this season. Yeah, and I think it's a really uh, interesting signing for the Angels because if Syndergaard reinvents himself in Los Angeles, then it's a great signing, and he would be tied to that city. Maybe he wants to sign long-term if things work out. Uh, they haven't really had uh, a great pitching rotation in the years past, so maybe he's the start of that, and it'd be good to see him get healthy because when he is healthy, he's one of the more powerful pitchers in the game, and he's electric to watch. Syndergaard's a guy who hasn't really pitched in two years, as we talked about, and hasn't really shown any sign of of getting back to that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. I know he hasn't thrown a ton in the last two years. I don't. I just question if that's the right move for the Angels or if they should have gone for somebody more sure, sort of a thing at a free agency. Because you're going to spend $20 million on a starting pitcher like Syndergaard. You have to have other options, and the Angels really don't in that rotation, I think. Here's the thing. Uh, in your opinion, do you think any of those other guys with a name like Syndergaard would have looked at the Angels with, like, with serious uh, intentions of signing there? Because in years past, we, they've always been linked to pitchers, but they've never seen to land anyone. So I don't know if they would have landed someone. What do you think? That's tough. That's a t- it's a tough situation there because they've 
the last big name they got was for as a, in a pitcher was CJ Wilson, I think, you know, five or yeah, so years a ago, a while back. And he, a while back. he didn't pan out and they gave him over a hundred million dollars. So I think they've been, you know, obviously struggling to draw talent there, but also a little bit hesitant to turn out that much money to a starting pitcher again. I, I don't know. I, I think I would have held off a bit on Cindergard. I just would have liked to see them. I think Eduardo Rodriguez would have made a good fit for them. And he goes to Detroit on a, four-year deal worth north of 70 million Barrett. But I think, I think Erod would have been a good fit for the angels, but I think he himself has the best fit for himself in Detroit. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think Erod could have fit in with a lot of teams, but in Detroit, I don't think it's a really high pressure situation for him. Uh, and I think he's a really good arm to add with those other young guys like Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal that they can build a rotation around uh, and they've even been linked to more pitching. So it's interesting to see if the Tigers will go for another starter. But I think Erod slots right in as a top three starter. And it's I think it's a good signing for both the Tigers and for Erod. Yeah, and Erod's a guy who had been relatively consistent his first couple of years in Boston, an ERA just under four. But then the last couple of years, some injuries and some setbacks. And he hasn't been the most consistent guy. Is he somebody that you see Barrett bouncing back to that form, you know, the pre-COVID form where he was pretty good for a couple of years? I don't know if we'll ever see that Erod again because uh, he did have that heart issue during COVID and that seemed to take a little bit of a, uh, an impact on his, uh, his stuff. But I think he still had a really good year. He had a couple moments in the playoffs too with the Red Sox. Uh, I think his value is correct on what he got for money. And I think the thing that scared the Red Sox off of that, that contract was more so the uh, time that he would have been tied into Boston. I don't think they wanted to give him four years uh, because they're worried that maybe he declines a little bit over that time span. But I think he's probably going to be right where he was at this year for the next couple of years. And it'll be interesting on the tail end of that contract to see if he does decline at all. See, and I, I would have had Erod at somebody the Red Sox bring back at two years, about $35 million. You think that would have been something the Red Sox would have went for? Yeah, I do. Like I said, I think they wanted uh, a shorter term contract for him in the four years. Uh, they just weren't going to match that. No, there's no shot. I think a lot of times starting pitching ends up kind of, you know, breaking down after year two in a lot of these contracts that we've seen. There's so many starting pitchers now that are undergoing Tommy John surgery. We just saw it with uh, Justin Verlander. DeGrom had it during his career. Cindergaard. All these guys at some point have had an arm injury. Erod hasn't had really any major arm issues, if I'm correct, besides that heart issue. Yeah, he, he hasn't had any major arm issues, but he did have dead arm earlier, right, right when he came right. back in the year. He had dead arm. Uh, so I think that's probably something that factored into uh, Bloom's decision of offering him a big deal, a big lengthy contract. Now, with Erod gone, the Red Sox are left with Chris Sale, Nathan Evaldi, Tanner Houck, you might slide into the rotation, possibly Garrett Whitlock. Where do you think, Barrett, looking at the Red Sox offseason, they go from here? Now, in just a little bit, we're going to have Steve Peralt on the show from Odyssey Sports, formerly with uh, Barstool Sports, and we're going to ask Steve the same question. But before he joins, let's go through our Red Sox, kind of build your pitching rotation for next season with what's left. Yeah, well, the dream's Max Scherzer, but I think real realistic options are like guys like Steven Matz, uh, I've seen them link to Steven Matz, and I think he'd make a lot of sense uh, in the rotation because uh, you could slot, you could go Avoldi, Sale, Matz as your one, two, three, and then you could have Hulk as the four or the five. 
Uh, I think that's probably one of the better options for the Red Sox to go after. Uh, and then there's some stuff within the system as well uh, that they've been re- like with information's been relayed that they could get a shot. Uh, so it's interesting to see if they stay internally and look at guys there or if they go out and they try to sign big pieces. Yeah, one of those guys that's in the system is, I think, Connor Siebold, somebody that the Red Sox got back when they traded Brandon Workman and Heath Hembree to Philadelphia. They got Siebold back along with Nick Pavetta as part of the deal. I guess, does Pavetta stay in the rotation? And does you think Siebold's probably the best guy that they would call up, I think, to take that spot? He's not an ace, but he's a guy who's going to eat up a lot of innings and I think can be a very good number three pitcher. Is that an option or are we still too far away from Connor Siebold? I think we could definitely see Siebold this year. I don't know if we'll see him right at the start. He might be like a mid-season call-up. Uh, another guy in there is uh, Josh Winkowski, who was actually acquired in the Andrew Benintendi deal. He had a really good uh, year last year down in AAA. So those are probably the two guys. And then the third guy that I've heard is Cutter Crawford. Uh, he made one start with the Red Sox this past season. He looked decent. But I saw something today that all signs were going to point to him being added to the 40-man roster and competing for a roster spot. What happened to Jay Groom, that first-round pick from a while back, the lefty? Groom, is he's still in the system. Uh, he was actually ranked today as the Red Sox number 10 prospect. Oh, good. So he's still around. I hadn't heard the name in a while. I think he's a guy they were expecting to be a part of the rotation soon. But uh, I don't think he's advanced too much past double-A or so. Yeah, he, uh, he was last with Portland, the Sea Dogs. Uh, he's 23, so I don't really know with Groom. He had, he had a big injury, so he was working his way back. So it'll, I don't know if he's the top option to get looks, but uh, I think down the line, maybe in a year or two, we could see Groom getting his chance in MLB. So the Red Sox make it to the ALCS, lose to the Houston Astros, and we'll see how they kind of tweak their rotation a little bit to try to make it back to that point. But the Astros go ahead and re-sign a guy that wasn't on the roster in the ALCS due to injury in Justin Verlander. And his brother, Ben Verlander, has reported that the Astros have signed Verlander to a one-year deal worth about $25 million. So what are your initial reactions to the Verlander signing to go back to Houston? I didn't think that Verlander was going back to Houston at all. So it actually really surprised me uh, when I saw that update that he was going back to Houston. I saw a report that he was supposed to throw at the first pitch during the playoffs. And uh, a lot of players in the clubhouse were upset with that because he hasn't been with the team all year, I guess. So I thought we were going to see him on his way out. And then what do you know, his brother reports that he's going back to Houston. And I honestly think it makes sense for him to go back to Houston. It's a good team. Uh, They had a lot of young starters in their rotation this year. And I think Verlander could really be an anchor if he stays healthy throughout the season for him. Yeah, and I I think at the end of the day, um, you're looking at an Astros rotation that's going to get better, right? You have Luis Garcia still very young. You have the, the opportunity to mix in Framber Valdez and a lot of guys who are going to just take steps forward. And it's hard for me to see, you know, a world in which the Astros are not winning that division again next year. I think that they have a very good chance to run it back to where they were. And obviously the big issue is going to be replacing Carlos Correa. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see uh, where the Astros are, especially if the reports of the Mariners are going to be big spenders are true. Uh, if the Mariners go out and they get a Chris Bryant-type guy and out, and add an arm, then they could compete for that spot, especially if Carlos Correa walks. Well, yeah, and the Mariners are a team that haven't necessarily signed the megastars, but have been willing to give some money to free agents in the past. Obviously, Robinson Cano going there for that massive 10-year contract, and you had – 
in the past, Nelson Cruz signing a deal with Seattle. They've been able to spend a decent amount to try to be competitive, but we'll see if they decide to open the checkbooks a little bit more. I think they're in need of somebody to replace Kyle Seager at third. Is Seager somebody that we could see them bringing back at third? Or are they going to look for an upgrade? See, I saw reports that they were going to bring back Seager, and then I've also seen Chris Bryant linked there right? Uh, because Bryant can also play the outfield. So there's all sorts of rumors going on with Seattle. Just the main thing that I've seen is that they want to spend some money because they think their ball club could win some games. Yeah, and I think Chris Bryant's a free agent who hasn't got as much attention because he's not one of the shortstops that are in this class with Correa, Story, Seager, Baez, Semyon. That core group is getting all the headlines and the attention. We're starting to see the veteran starting pitching sign. But this free agent class might be one of the best we've ever seen considering Chris Bryant, a guy who's won an MVP, is flying under the radar a bit. Yeah, this this class is loaded. <laughs> it has a lot of really good players, and I think we could see a lot of movement between those players, between Seager, Correa, Bryant, Semien, uh, Javier Baez is in there. There's, there's, uh, it's a deep class, and I think once we see that first domino fall, that first shot, shortstop or star player signed to a team, we'll see a lot more uh, begin to sign. Yeah, I think that a lot of these guys are kind of waiting for the other shortstops to sign. I think Seager and Correa, I don't think, signed before Story and Bias at all. I think Seager and Correa are the last two to sign. Yeah, I could definitely see that as well. I think Story uh, was my pick for the first guy to sign, uh, and I think it's going to be anywhere besides Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's going back there. That organization has just fumbled talent like no other organization well, maybe besides the Pirates, in the last couple of years. But they've had a couple of – Nolan Arenado, borderline generational talent. Trevor Story, pretty – almost close to that superstar level. They've had Charlie Blackman there. They've had Carlos Gonzalez in his prime, Troy Tulowitzki, but they haven't done too much with it. So I don't think Story goes back there, obviously. But I, as a Phillies fan, hope they bring him in because they're not bringing back Didi Gregorius at shortstop. or He's on the books, but good luck. And I would love to see Story at short, but I think his deal sets the table for Baez because I think Baez is going to be about $20 million under Story, and then Seager and Correa kind of follow and get more than Story. Yeah, and where, where do you think Semien slots into that? Because he played second base last year. He is probably the most interesting of the bunch because he had that contract last year with the Blue Jays that wasn't a huge deal. Was that, that was a one-year or two-year deal that he was coming off of. I'm not entirely it was a one year for about 20 million yeah so he he goes to toronto and proves himself right and has a near mvp season finishing as a finalist and i mean they still haven't announced the award but it's hard to see him getting it over vladder uh, otani but he goes there and he kind of proves himself now it's just such a tough thing to tell because do teams value him more as a second baseman or more as a shortstop and Looking at Semyon, I think he's a guy who can still be the number two or number three hitter in a lineup. He's incredibly versatile on the field. And with the bat, he not only has power, but can hit for average. He's still 31 years old. So I don't think he's going to get the five to seven year deal that one of these other guys are going to get. But I could see him signing like a three year, 60 to $70 million deal with, I think the Chicago White Sox are a good fit for him. I really do. I think the White Sox are a good fit for him too. Um, I'm just curious. Do you think he gets more or less than Story? Oh, I think he's going to get more. I think his, his age being 31, 
is going to cost them a bit in the in this situation. I think a lot of times GMs are hesitant to go past the you know f- fourth year or so on a guy who's signing at age 31. It might delay Simeon's you know what he can get a little bit. Trevor Story is 29, so I think he could get a seven year deal. Um, I don't think Story gets 200 million though. Yeah, I don't think Story does either. I think I was thinking more along the lines of 180 for Story. Uh, yeah, and the two spots that I liked him going to are the Phillies and then the Cardinals. The Cardinals would be interesting. Now, they've developed a lot of talent over the last couple of years, and Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, they've added Goldschmidt and Arenado, but they just seem like a team who is one bat and then one or two middle-of-the-rotation guys away from really contending for a World Series. They got close at the end of last year, but maybe Story is the bat that gets him over the hump. Yeah, and I think Story would be interested there. I mean, Arenado's there, and it seems like Arenado's really enjoyed his time there. And, you know, Story and Arenado played together in Colorado. And they it's a team that really prided themselves on defense during that huge 20-game win streak. They had the best defensive stats uh, in the league. And Story's a good defender, so he fits right in with what they want to do. Yeah, and Barrett, Trevor Story, a guy who might set the market prices we talked about. So we'll keep an eye on the shortstop class and the rest of the free agent class here on the Long Relief Podcast. We'll keep you updated on all our social medias. In just a moment, we're going to be welcoming on Steve Peralt from Odyssey Sports and the live BP show. So we'll pause for a moment. We'll be back with Steve Peralt in just a moment on the Long Relief Podcast. Welcome back here on the Long Relief Podcast. Joining us now on the show, a very special guest, the senior producer of MLB content for Odyssey Sports and the host of the live BP show, formerly with Barstool Sports and the Section 10 podcast, Mr. Steve Peralt. Steve, thank you for taking time to join the show. Thank you guys for having me. Very excited to be here. Yes, Steve, and we really appreciate you taking time now that the season's wrapped up to come on the podcast, but You've been very busy over your last couple of years in working in the baseball world. Can you tell us how you kind of got through the ranks and get to the point where you are now working as a senior producer for Odyssey Sports? Yeah, so it was uh, it was definitely a grind. I think it all really started when I was at Endicott College. I was a sports management major there and minored in communications. I really just did sports management because it has that word sports in it, which is awesome. I uh, <laughs> love sports, so that was definitely appealing. I realized after a year or two that that was a lot of people that wanted to be agents. There's no way I wanted to do that at all. So by sophomore year, I started a sports radio show with my roommate, Tyler, and we did that for the last three years. That made me comfortable with the concept of doing, you know, a sports radio type of show. And then I was at Nesson for two and a half years as a production assistant, which had its ups and downs. I I definitely enjoyed, uh, you know, most of my time there, made a lot of good relationships, got a World Series ring in 2013, which was super awesome. Um, So that's definitely cool. And, you know, got got a lot of editing experience, I would say, at Nesson. So that, that helped me out there. And then, you know, I realized my time at Nesson was coming to a close and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I have no idea what, what the next move is. Another thing with Endicott that I love, by the way, that I kind of skipped past is the internship opportunities they have there. And at the age of 18, I was interning for WEI and it really puts you in a, a more comfortable position than you would have been if you just got a job right out of college. Cause you know, it's soon enough to graduate in high school. And I'm in like the producer booth for some of their night shows. They got Kurt Schilling in there. Uh, I remember Roosevelt <laughs> Colvin. He had some big names coming through. And I was like, wow, you know, you had to act normal. I tried to act like I wasn't peeing my pants, but like that was a huge <laughs> deal to have them there. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
you add a couple more internships on. I know senior year, I was at Comcast Sportsnet, which is now NBC Sports Boston, mm-hmm. as a freelancer. And, you know, then Nesson for a couple of years. And I, I realized I really wanted to be a part of a show. I, I want to do more of the host type of stuff. Uh, so long story short, I end up reaching out to Jared Carabas on LinkedIn, which is the only way I could contact him. And that ended up leading to a producer spot with Section 10. Unpaid was really just an experience type of thing. And then, you know, what, six, seven years later, we we did over 400 episodes together. So it was a ton of fun, you know, doing Section 10. Along the, you know, those exact years, 2015 to this year, I was also at Bleacher Report. That was my full-time mm-hmm. job working on the app. Uh, later, My later time at BR, I enjoyed a lot more in terms of what my day-to-day responsibilities were. Got to interview a lot of players for AMAs. I realized over the years that people don't it's like ask me anything. I'd say AMA and people are like, what does that even mean? Like it's uh, ask me anything, uh, you know, that the users would send the questions in. We picked the best ones, got to interview Dwayne Wade, uh, George Kittle, some really huge names, Austin wow. Matthews, like across the board. That was a really cool experience because it wasn't really baseball centric. We probably only had three or four baseball guys. Pedro Martinez was one of them, which is sick. But, um, you know, that puts you in a position to, I feel like I kind of had, you know, had all the skills I needed. I, I mm-hmm. could interview, I could edit. I was comfortable around these people. And and then I got the offer from Odyssey uh, to host the Red Sox show that's going to launch in spring training. And the Red Sox are backing it. They're going to give us player access and everything. Can't wait uh, for that. But my main job along with that is to try to launch shows, uh, you know, MLB team shows along the way here because Odyssey has exclusive podcast rights with Major League Baseball. So uh, it's a really cool, you know, position to be in. Section 10, obviously, it was tough to leave that show. But um, I'm, I'm very happy with the spot I'm in now. And, and that's kind of the full journey. That's awesome, Steve. So building on that a little bit, uh, you talked about some of the athletes that you got to interview. Is there any uh, specific one that you enjoyed interviewing or working with the most? Yeah, I'd say the top. The top scenario had to be J.D. Martinez uh, before game one of the 2018 ALDS against the Yankees, just because of, you know, J.D.'s obviously a huge name. He's coming off of what would have been an MVP year if Mookie Betts didn't play out of his mind. And that's the day before, you know, the biggest baseball day of his life. It's, you know, Red Sox, Yankees. He's the DH. He's in the four spot there. He ends up hitting a three-run bomb in game one and, and off the Sox go and a pretty easy, uh, you know, ship to the <laughs> to the World Series title. I still can't believe how seemingly easy they made that look. But, yeah, we got to interview him in the dugout. And, you know, initially we told him, dude, if you could just give us 15 minutes, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being 50 minutes. And I was like, this is, this is so sick. And Mookie came in at one point and was, like, giving him the look of, like, dude, we're supposed to get dinner. Like, what do you, you know, come on, wrap this, wrap this up. Um, but that was hilarious, that exchange. But yeah, it was that was a ton of fun. Pedro Martinez in person was sick. We got to interview Pedro a couple of times. The first time was over, I think it was Skype, honestly. And you know, we only had a, the 10 minutes with him, I think, to promote his, his charity event. The next one, we got a little more time and he knew who we were, which I thought was nuts. Um, Kurt Schilling at his house was really cool. I think that was about four or five years ago that I, I really couldn't believe that was happening. Mm-hmm. We were in his basement and he had all sorts of cool game use jerseys of, you know, some of the best players. You had Randy Johnson, really all the top Diamondbacks guys, and even some of the Phillies players that he played with. So yeah, those are just some of the top experiences, but it's really hard to top JD in the dugout before the playoffs. 2018 was just a magical year, obviously for the Red Sox and for the podcast. And I think that was kind of the, the peak right there when we got him before the playoff run. So as you've alluded to, you've been covering the Red Sox for a good deal of time. And 
this past season was one that might have surprised some fans kind of what's your thoughts and recap on the season overall because some guys are saying you know you got to be happy with where the Red Sox finished but some kind of fall in the area of you know they could have done more where are you lying kind of between that yeah you tweeted last night that the Red Sox won the AL East this year and it it always weeds out the losers right like Mm. actually they did it like I know they didn't actually win the AL East but they (laughs) knocked off the Yankees they knocked off the Rays that's the point of the tweet um but yeah I was also just alluding to the fact that Alice Cora somehow isn't even a finalist for manager of the year which made no sense to me considering he didn't even win it in 2018 Bob Melvin that won in 2018 which was garbage as well um but yeah i would say red sox overall i mean it was hell of a ride right i mean there's no way that especially if you take it back to when xander got pulled from that game with COVID in tampa that was the first time i'm like they might not even make the wild card game like there's a chance that this wild ride which for the first half of the season or at least most of it you're leading the al east uh that might end up in you not even making this play-in game to get into the playoffs but Sure enough, in September, they won, like, just enough games, barely, to host the wild card game. Obviously, they needed some help there with the Blue Jays not quite uh, closing out the second half of September the way they would have wanted, and the Yankees losing two out of three to Tampa in the last series. But a uh, hell of a ride. I, I couldn't have expected this much. Kyle Schwarber was awesome. Love Schwarber. Hope he's back. Seems like he won't be, but... Uh, you would love to have him here. Understandable, it's going to be hard to find the right spot for him now that J.D. opted in, but I think they can figure that out if, you know, they assume J.D.'s not going to be back in 2023, but that's a little further down the road. But, yeah, overall, just impressed with him, man. I, I didn't mm-hmm. think that, you know, we would get to that point of two wins in the World Series. Like, what are we talking about? Right. I, after game three, when Erod gets that W and does the, you know, point at the watch thing, which I didn't really have a problem with. I know Cora hated it, but. I'm thinking, you know, dressed as a Reese's peanut butter cup up there. I'm like, this team might make the World Series. Like, there, there's a chance they might mess around and host the World Series. And and sure enough, that was the last game they won all year. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a wild ride. And I I thought even after they got eliminated, I was still waiting for them to play more games. I'm like, it can't end like that, right? Three runs total in the last three games, but. That's how it all came crashing down. So kind of a weird, a weird last few days there, last three or four days. But uh, it's a fun, it's a really fun journey, and it's going to be fun to look back on it some years from now because they really had no business being in the ALCS. Yeah, and the 2021 season was really fun overall and kind of looking forward to 2022. There's a possibility of an MLB lockout on the horizon. Uh, From your point of view, do you see any way the MLB avoids that lockout? No, this is probably no chance. I mean, it's it's crazy because I've been meeting with a lot of the MLB teams and their social media or digital reps in the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks as we try to uh, begin to launch some some team-related podcasts in spring training. And, you know, very productive calls. We're going over potential talent that could host these shows, who could help with the editing and all that. You know, your typical things you need to make a show legitimate. And it's always funny. Towards the end of it, it's always like, oh, by the way, um, there's a lockout coming up. And uh, that's not great. So we kind of try to just avoid that discussion. And I think that's what baseball fans are doing. We're just trying to act like it's not coming up, even though I think December 1st is the day, which is like super soon. I thought we'd have a little more time than that. That caught me off guard a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, there's really no avoiding it. And I can't see it being any different than last year, right? That was so obnoxious, mm. tuning into Sports Center every night, and you got Jeff Passan and his big ears up there on the screen. <laughs> and 
and he's you know got no updates because there's no updates to have it was the same back and forth between the players in the league and uh you know seemingly trying to fight for things that you would think that every side or both sides rather would be down for like the universal dh and speeding games up and all that and yet these seem to be the things that are preventing them from coming together so i don't feel great about it i don't think anybody does but realistically it's just you know something that's going to have to be dealt with and hopefully as quickly as possible yeah steven as we pretend that the lockout's not going to happen or we kind of avoid <laughs> it can you kind of give us your insight or your kind of key signings or predictions for the red sox you know if there's no lockout if we can get things moving in free agency who do you have the red sox going for this offseason yeah it's it's hard to know right because i think the biggest thing i go back to is you know what high and bloom is willing to do with some of these free agents. And typically, as you're seeing so far, a lot of the other teams are willing to give more years and probably more money than the Red Sox want to give. I think Haim is a classic example of like with any production company where it's like, we want to give out as little money as possible and get as much gain on that profit as possible. We want to bring back as much money as we can from the people that we bring in, you know, to this Red Sox organization. And with that being the case, you're probably not going to go after a Robbie Ray who just wins the Cy Young. So his price just went up. Uh, Kendall Graveman's probably in that ballpark of wanting a big deal. Marcus Stroman, even though he's technically kind of a tier two starter, considering that Scherzer and Gausman, I, 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 I never know if I'm saying his name right, Gausman, whatever. <laughs> um, since they're tier one, I guess Stroman is technically right behind them. Uh, but he's still Marcus Stroman's what, like 30? Like he's going to want like a five, six year deal. Right. So are the Sox willing to do that? Probably not. Marcus Semyon did a, a bet on himself deal. He hit the most homers by a second baseman in the history of baseball. Baseball's been around for a long time. He's going to fetch a big price. So the guys that I want, like my wish list is like Semyon, Graveman, and then maybe I can't believe I'm saying this because I hate him and he blocked me years ago, but Marcus Stroman. <laughs> I don't know if you know, they're willing to actually go after those guys and give them the money that's going to be necessary, uh, you know, to get them to come to Boston. And not like it's a big sell, right? I mean, this is a fun team. They've, 2018, even though they crushed everybody, pretty boring. There weren't a ton of, like, characters on that club. 2021, as a fan, was a lot of fun because you had a lot of guys that you can really get behind and that gel, and I love Verdugo so much. Kike obviously overperformed and is looking like a better signing by the day by Heim. So I don't know. I don't think they're going to go after these big guys. I hope they do. But realistically, it's going to be like an Alex Cobb or even like Rich Hill, even though he's 50. Like they're probably going to go over after guys like that that are a one to two year deal to, to patch up the starting rotation here with Erod gone. Well, Steve, it should be an interesting offseason to keep in play. You know, keep in mind the lockout coming up. So we'll have to keep in touch and uh kind of go out the go the next couple of weeks and see if the Red Sox make any moves before the lockout. But for now, we want to thank you for joining the Long Relief Podcast. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Once again, we want to thank Steve Peralt of Odyssey Sports for joining the show, Barrett. It was uh, great to get to know Steve a little bit, and we really appreciate his time. He's a great dude and has helped us a lot, you know, by joining the show today. Yeah, it was an awesome interview. It was good talking to him, and I I think we learned a lot about the MLB offseason so far with uh, the Red Sox mainly with their what they might be looking for and just other signings around the league. Yeah, and one thing that we talked about was the MLB lockout, which we kind of look at and we don't think it's avoidable. It's probably going to happen, but 
looking at something that already has happened and has been solidified is the awards. So the awards have been announced. We've talked about it for a couple of weeks, previewing it, who we might think will win. Let's get our initial reactions, starting with rookie of the year, the National League, Jonathan India. Barrett, your initial thoughts. I think we both nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've both said India, uh, uh, he deserved the award. We both thought. So I think it was pretty much a no-brainer. Uh, with India, and he had a really good season for a rookie. Uh, played a good second base for the Reds. Uh, I think he had like a crazy amount of doubles, and he had 2020 season too. So it was really, really impressive. India's year. Yeah, wasn't surprised about him. And the guy in the American League, Randy Rosarena, wins the AL Rookie of the Year. Can't say I'm surprised, but in a way, I'm a little disappointed because I would have liked to see Wander Franco win. But I think a Rosarena deserves it at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's like we talked about. If Wander plays more games, he probably gets it. Uh, but Rosarena just played the whole year uh, compared to, like, the 50 that Franco played. And I think that was a big factor. And Rosarena had a good season. So I think, I think he was deserving. And then looking at the remaining awards, the Manager of the Year award, one that had a lot of debate and discussion in it was the American League Manager of the Year. It goes to Kevin Cash again. Uh, Barrett, initial thoughts on the on the cash award? Ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's my reaction to it. Uh, I thought there was more than one guy that deserved it over Kevin Cash. So, uh, I mean, I think he had pretty much the same team. Right. I thought he did the same exact thing he did the year before. Uh, yeah, they won a bunch of games, but it just it doesn't seem to translate in the playoffs. I know they don't look at the playoffs, but as an MLB fan, that's how you want to think about it. Um, I don't know. I just think it's all analytics over the Rays. It doesn't really make a lot of decisions on his mm-hmm. own. Um, so I just, I don't think he deserves it to win back-to-back years. Yeah, I think the problem is, is you look at the team he has and what they were expected to do. He was right around that, right? You know, right around 90 wins, right kind of in the area of what was expected. Maybe it overperformed a little, but they went and got him Nelson Cruz. They called up the top prospect in baseball. They gave him all the tools. But when you look at even Dusty Baker, I think is more deserving. Scott Service, Alex Cora, those guys did more with less. And I mean, Cora, first of all, nobody had the Red Sox getting where they were. So he deserved it for that. Same thing with the Mariners. The Mariners, they had predicted to be second worst team in the American League, probably. And then even the Astros, a team that was coming off of a little bit of a down year. Baker brings them back to the division win. And I think all three of those guys with what they had and what they did deserved it more than Kevin Cash. Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent with that. And uh, like I said before, like guys like Dusty Baker and Alex Cora, they don't use analytics right. when they make some of their decisions at the end of the game, like who to pinch it and who to, who to have come in and face this batter and this batter when they're looking at their relievers and Kevin Cash, he just, to me, he just, I feel like he's like a puppet for that organization. Yeah. So I just don't think he deserved it. I thought he deserved it last year because the Rays kind of had a year that no one was expecting. Uh, I thought this year was pretty predictable for the Rays. So I just thought there was other candidates worthy. Yeah. And I think looking at the National League, the right guy won the award, in my opinion. Gabe Kapler, my man, former Phillies manager, the uh, only manager who could suit up and actually back clean up in a game still. Uh, gets the award, and I think rightfully so. Yeah, I think he definitely deserved it. Uh, he wasn't my original pick. My original pick was Snicker because he brought that team back at the uh, – mm-hmm. they were about 50, they were 50 and 50 halfway through the year. So I thought that 
I like Snicker to win it, but Cap would definitely deserve. That's another team that they weren't supposed to be where they got to. A team of all older players, didn't know right. how it was going to mesh, didn't really have a great rotation coming into the year. And Kapler takes over and two years with that team. And next thing you know, he's, he's leading them to the best record in baseball. Yeah, that's the thing with Kapler and, and Snicker, too. I think Alex Anthropolis in uh, Atlanta, he deserves executive of the year for the moves he made to set up the Braves. Snicker did really well with those players, but bringing them in gives, I think, Anthopolis executive of the year. But for Snitker, you know, the, the slow start wasn't, wasn't what the Braves expected. And I think they were expected to be better than they were, even how they finished. I think they were expected to win that division for the most part. But Kapler takes a bunch of guys who hit 260 to 270 uh, all over the age of 30 for the most part, and he turns them into the division-winning team. Yeah, and a division with the Dodgers and the Padres in it at that. So, yeah, uh, Cap would definitely deserve that. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, Barrett, and moving on from the Manager of the Year Award to the final award that's been announced so far is the Cy Young Award, which just was announced a few minutes before recording this podcast. It's Corbin Burns in the National League. I was between Burns and Scherzer. As much as I'm a Phillies fan, I didn't think Zach Wheeler was going to get it over either of those guys based on ERA, but Wheeler threw... Uh, a good bulk more innings than Burns, but it's Corbin Burns who wins his first Cy Young Award. Yeah, and I, I have no problem with it. I thought all three guys were deserving of it, but I thought Burns had some really electric stuff the entire season. Uh, that run that Scherzer had with the Dodgers uh, at the very end of the year, that was something else. So I think that's why he got propelled into that spot. But I think we saw Burns consistently stayed healthy the whole year, and he had great numbers. And last but not least, the American League Cy Young. I think an award that me and you both agreed on. Robbie Ray officially crowned Cy Young. Somebody who has endured a lot in his career uh, was a highly touted acquisition for the Diamondbacks. Then he faltered a bit, goes to Toronto for less than what they were expecting, and then comes in this year and wins Cy Young. Yeah, and Robbie Ray he had a great season. I think we both agreed that if we could just not give out a Cy Young to the AL, we would have. <laughs> we would have done that route. That would have been the best um, move, 100%. But out of those guys, I thought Ray had the best year. Uh, he had some dominant starts against teams in that AL East, a lot of good teams in that division. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably what put him over the bar there. And uh, he's probably going to get paid for it now. So good for Robbie Ray. Yeah, I'm going to be happy for him, a hard worker, and a guy who definitely deserves it. The last awards to be announced will be MVP, Most Valuable Player. Uh, we've de- we've debated it before. I'm still sticking with Bryce Harper in the NL, Shohei Otani with the, in the AL. Barrett, any disagreement there? Uh, no, I don't have any disagreements with those two picks. I thought there. Uh, Otani's definitely the MVP in the AL between his pitching and hitting. And then Harper, he had a great season, so I can agree with you there too. Well, it should be an interesting couple of weeks ahead in Major League Baseball. We don't know about the lockout. It's probably going to happen. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. But for now, free agency will continue to plow ahead. For all the latest free agent updates and news and free agent info, make sure to check us out on all of our social media pages at the Long Relief Podcast on Instagram and Facebook as well as Twitter. But for now, for Barrett Hodgson, I'm Austin Dakota. Special thanks to Steve Peralt for joining us today. Good night and thank you for listening to the Long Relief Podcast.